Good morning, church. Hey, hey, my name is Glenn Griner. I'm privileged to be on staff here at Union Chapel, even more privileged to be your pastor, one of your pastors. And so as we are getting geared up uh, for the story, as we're kicking that back off for the New Testament, I can't tell you how excited I am. I mean, you probably, maybe you've heard this said, 2022 is the year of the Bible here at Union Chapel. As we focused on God's word, here's what we've seen. We've seen more and more people be involved in our church. God's actually exploded our capacity and our ability to plant churches by bringing along gifted men and women who are, who are out there on the front line starting churches with us. We've seen God open up doors in Central Asia. It's been phenomenal, all the things that we've been seeing God do, and it's not by coincidence. It's because we're focusing on the power of his word. And so this, the story, it's a resource, and it kind of breaks down into 32 different little chapters and sections. And so as we're walking our way through that, I want to challenge you just to follow Christopher's advice, pick up a copy of the book on the way out. And, and here's what we do. We're going through this together. And as we go through it together, we experience God together. And so the message is here. They're focusing on a specific thing. The message is in the kids. And four, five, six, that's all happening. It's gonna, we're going to be going through that together. So you've picked a great, great time to be a part of things here at Union Chapel. One of the things that we talk about in the story is this whole upper plan, this upper story of God's redemptive work through history. And every week we kind of take a deep dive down into the lower story. And the lower story is how God's big redemptive plan works out in the characters of the Bible. And then we end it with an application point because God's big story, his upper story is also a lower story, but it's also your story because God's redemptive plan is at work in your life. He is at work in you. It's a good, good thing. It's a good thing. And so today we're going to focus a lot on Scripture today. And so typically we stand in honor of reading God's Word, but not today because there's lots of Scripture, and that's not the way I want to keep you awake this morning. You know, not by getting a good cardio workout, getting the burn, burning the quads there. So, so feel free to remain seated. We still honor God's Word here. The Hebrews 4.12, I want you to see this on the screen. It says, for the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. And so the title for today's message is Understanding the Bible. Because I think when we understand the power of the Bible, it changes the way we live. It gives us more confidence. It gives us more hope. And it gives us more reassurance. And it changes our priorities. But when we look at the power of the Bible, I want to kind of look at it from an external perspective, like outside the Bible. And we see this. Check out this on the screen. It says that the Bible is the most powerful book. It's the most powerful book in all of history. There's absolutely no denying the Bible has been the most influential work of literature in the history of the world. No other book has had more influence. No other book has been read more. Have you ever wondered how many copies of the Bible have been distributed and printed over the years? Try seven billion. Yeah, that's billion with a B. Seven billion. And think about this. The population of the world is estimated to reach 8 billion by the end of this year. That's almost a Bible for every person. That's unbelievable, unbelievable. Guess how many Bibles are printed, distributed, and purchased every year? Try 44 million. Here's what that means. That means when you 
walk through Books A Million and you see the envied New York Times bestseller list, you can look at me and I can look at you and we can know number one is not number one. So now don't get your Sharpie out. You know, like, Mark, that's number two. It's not number one. We don't, we don't, we don't want to do that. But I want you to know that the Bible is the best-selling book today, the best-selling book yesterday, this week, last week, the week before, 365 days a year, the Bible is the best-selling book. Nothing even comes close to it at all. No other book is more read than the Bible either. And I know, I know, naysayers today, they say the Bible isn't, no one reads it, no one cares about it. Oh, really? Oh, really? Uh, Did you know that there are dozens, if not hundreds, of Bible reading apps available out there? In fact, the most popular one, if you've been around Union Chapel for a while, you've heard us talk about it. It's the Bible app by YouVersion. It's put forth by LifeChurch. And I want you to know that I believe it was last year they ticked 500 million downloads of that resource. I use it every day. It reminds me, hey, Glenn, good morning. Read your Bible. I'm like, oh, how wonderful is that? A notification on my phone to remind me to read the Bible. You know, and then on top of that, I love that, that they have offered over 2,000 versions of the Bible. Get this, in over 1,400 languages. And here's, here's what their mission is. If you, if you get on their blog and you're, you're, you're like, listen to the church, things they're doing at their church, they're on a mission. They're on a mission to eradicate Bible poverty on planet Earth. And they just might do it. They just might do it. Because here's what they've done. They've partnered with all the major Bible translators of our day, Wycliffe and others, and they're working together to offer God's word in this electronic form. Because here's, here's what you can do if you have a Bible on your phone and you're in a country where you can be put to death for having God's word. You can hide that thing on your phone. You can read it. You can share it. It can change your life. And get this. The Bible app has been downloaded in every country and territory on the planet. But despite its popularity... The Bible is also the most, popular, the most popular book to attack. Entire governments have sought to wipe out the Bible, yet none of them has succeeded. Remember the Russian Empire? Remember them? They banned the Bible. They burned the Bible. They told lies about the Bible, about Jesus. And what happened to the Russian Empire? It came tumbling down. What happened to the Bible? Well, it's going strong. The gospel is moving out with power. Think about China. Perhaps you've known people who've actually smuggled Bibles into China. In fact, the flow of Bibles into China, no matter what the government did, they couldn't stop it. And finally, they gave up. They conceded and said, okay, you can print Bibles, but only from one printer, only from one distributor, because they thought they could control the distribution of Bibles. But let me tell you what, friends, despite all of that, the gospel has grown like wildfire in China for over 10 years. It's one of the fastest growing Christian countries in the world. And even in our own culture, it's popular to attack the Bible. The Bible is attacked on a regular basis in media, in schools, in universities. In fact, there's a lot of people, they've made a lot of money attacking the Bible. One of those is Richard Dawkins. He may be one of the most notable uh, atheists of our day. He's certainly very vocal about it. And, and he and his three other people, they're kind of the... the four leading guys when it comes to atheistic thought and promoting their agenda. And I think it's really funny because they call themselves the four horsemen of atheism. And of course, they're referring to the book of Revelation, but I think it's kind of ironic that they use a biblical reference to describe themselves and they're trying to discredit the Bible. That's just, maybe that's just me. I'm just too simple, I guess. 
And schools and universities invite them to speak there, pay big money, people pay lots of money for their books and to hear them talk, you know. But when we think about why don't these so-called scholars attack the works of Confucius? Why don't they go after the Book of Mormon or even the Quran? Perhaps it's because these books aren't worth attacking. These works aren't worth fighting over. But when it comes to the Bible, everyone is about either lifting it up or tearing it down. In fact, another thing that we find is that there's a lot of attack on the reliability of the Bible. Maybe you're in this room and you're kind of new to all this stuff. Or maybe you're joining online and trying to check things out. And you've had that question come to your mind. Like, how can we really know that these are the words of Jesus, that this is really accurate, that we can really trust this? In fact, other people have jumped on that. And uh, in fact, Kurt Eichenwald, he's an author for Newsweek. Back in 2017, he wrote these words, and you can kind of get a feel for his perspective on it. He, said, he wrote this, and I quote, No television preacher has ever read the Bible. Neither has any evangelical politician. Neither has the Pope. Neither have I, and neither have you. At best, we've all read a bad translation, a translation of translations of translations of hand-copied copies of copies of copies, and so on and on and on hundreds of times. And so that can leave you like, well, can I really rely on this book? And so what we have to, we have to look at that like factually and intellectually and not emotionally. We have to look, use logic for this. And one of the people that does this is Dr. Daniel Wallace. He's one of the leading textual critics of our day. Textual criticism is the science behind, dis, behind uh, interpreting and understanding the validity of ancient texts. So there's two factors that help you understand whether or not an ancient text is valid. The first one is this. It's the time span between the oldest copy and the original. So the less time between the copy and the original, the better. And the other thing is the number of copies and how similar they are. And the more similarity, the better it is. And he listed, he listed like, I don't know, 20, 20 different ancient works and compared them to the Bible as far as the wealth of information that's, that's there. And I didn't recognize a lot of them, as you can imagine, but I recognized Aristotle's name. And so did you know that there are 49 copies of Aristotle's work? 49 copies. And I wonder how long the time span between Aristotle's writings and the oldest copy. Well, that's 1,400 years. That's quite a long time. But when you look at the Bible, I wonder how many copies of the Bible are available for us. How many ancient copies of the Bible are there? There's 5,600 ancient copies of the Greek New Testament. And I wonder how many years, how many years between the first writing and the oldest copy? Less than 100. And I hope, I hope you feel the power of that because do we have the original? Do we have the first one? No, we don't. We don't. There's nothing that old around at all. But if you have any intellectual honesty at all, you can't deny that the words we have today are the words that were written then. And if you choose not to believe that, then you have to throw out all we know about Greco-Roman history because our history books exist on scraps and pieces, especially compared to Bible. Nothing even comes close to the wealth of data that we have for the New Testament. Nothing at all, nothing at all. And so man attacks the Bible. Time attacks the Bible. Governments attack the Bible. 
It never stops. So why doesn't the Bible just cease to exist? I'll tell you why. Because the Bible's God's book and God is standing behind it. Jesus said these words in Matthew 24, 35. See them on the screen. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Nothing is going to alter the priority of the Bible. Nothing. Not only is the Bible the most powerful book, but check this out on the screen. The Bible is power for you. It's power for you. It's power for your life. You see, God just doesn't speak through the Bible. He speaks to you through the Bible. The Bible's like God's mouthpiece for your life. Joshua 1, 8 is one of my favorite verses. Just listen to it. It says this, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And get this, then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And I must confess, as your pastor, I'm pathetic. I'm just, just pray for me because I'm so pathetic. When I hear the word success, the first thing that pops into my mind is green. It's money. But I love that the, that the writer of Joshua, he said good success because we all know that success in life is way more than money. Good success, it has to do with your relationships. Good success has to do with how you see yourself how you view yourself, your personal well-being. And when you follow the Bible, when you follow its guidelines, you will have good success, the best success of all. I want you to see this, that the Bible is power for you when you have been hurt. When you've been hurt, the Bible's power for you. Listen to this from Ephesians 4. It says this, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice or hate. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So I want you to think back. Think back to the last time you were hurt. Like not when someone cut you off in traffic, but like when you were really hurt. Did you want to forgive them? I'm thinking for myself, heck no, I didn't want to forgive them. I want to bring like vengeance down upon them. Let's just, it's okay to be honest in church. Isn't it okay? You want me a little bit? Okay. I know you feel the same way. Don't, don't give me that look. Don't give me that look. But you see, we get a little bit of advice on that because when we let go, when we forgive, here's what we find out. We find out we set ourselves free. It's about setting you free. Any counselor who has any sense at all, they'll tell you, now they won't tell you it comes from scripture, but they'll tell you, they'll tell you you've got to forgive. You've got to let go because here's what happens. When you hold on to anger, it holds on to you. It affects everything about you. Think about this power in the Bible. The Bible is also power for family relationships. And now this is my children's favorite verse in the entire Bible. If there was ever a time where they wanted to stand up and shout amen, it's at this verse. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Amen. There we go. But instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Now, of course, right before that, it says, children, Honor your father and mother so it may go well with you and you may live a long life. It does say that too. Now think about this. Think about how powerful that is. Any teachers in the room? So if you're a teacher and you've got a student who's doing okay and then all of a sudden they seem to fall off the edge almost every single time and it has to do with family relationships at home. If you know someone who works in human resources... And there's an employee that's doing okay, but then things start wobbling for them. It almost always has to do with how things are going at home. The Bible's power in your family, friends. It's also power over anxiety. 
Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're like me and you hear the words, don't be anxious about anything, you go, oh, no, I'm anxious about this. Now I'm anxious about my anxiety and I'm more anxious. What do I do now? It doesn't just leave you there and say, don't be anxious. It says, no, 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 come to God with prayer. And then not only come to God with prayer, come to him with thanksgiving. Because what happens, you begin to thank God for the things that he's done in your life. You begin to thank Jesus for his saving, loving work. You begin to thank him for all the good things that are in your life and your eyes begin to become affixed on him and not that thing that's bringing you anxiety. And you know what happens when you get your eyes on Jesus, when you look at him, when you see his goodness and his love and you begin to thank him, that's when the peace of God comes in and fills your heart and helps you out. Now that's some power, friends. And the Bible's also power for your work or school, job, whatever it may be. Here's what Colossians 3, 23 says. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters or bosses, or professors, or teachers. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. In other words, your boss really isn't your boss. The professor that you like to complain about, you know, the nutty professor, the proverbial nutty professor, that's not really your professor. So here's what happens. What you do is you begin to realize that, hey, this is Jesus that I'm studying for. This is the test that he is giving me. This is the guy that I'm working for. He's my employer. And here's what happens when you do that, friends. It changes how you react. It changes how you perceive the circumstances that you're in. And it transforms the circumstances that you're experiencing. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? But the Bible isn't just powerful. According to Hebrews 4.12 that we just read in the beginning of this service, it is living and it is active, which leads us to the next thought today. Check it out on the screen. Is that the Bible is alive. Now, we've been talking about school, which makes me nervous because school wasn't my thing. I had plenty of it, but school just wasn't my thing. And I remember, I remember back in government or history or whatever class, and I learned about the Constitution. And I had to fill this thing out that the Constitution is a living document. And the reason the Constitution is a living document is because it can be amended. Uh, heads up, the Bible cannot be amended. Jesus took care of that in the verse we just read. No, not a jot or tittle of God's word is going to be changed. It's going to all be fulfilled. But the Bible is alive because it speaks to you and to me. That's why it's alive. And I want you to think about the holy books. Think about the holy book for Islam, the Quran. And they have, they have serious respect for their book, don't they? I mean, there's, you can't just like stick it somewhere out of the way. You can't get dirty. It's got to be put in a prominent place. And even when it's used up and worn, you can't just chuck it in the trash. There's specific instructions on how to dispose of a Quran. In fact, people have, people have been actually martyred or punished or put in prison for desecrating their holy book. They would never write in it or put notes in it or use a highlighter in the Quran. But that's not so with the Bible. Now, the Bible's our holy book, but why is the Bible holy? I mean, some of you, you've got a paper, you've got like an actually printed Bible. You don't look at an electronic device, you've got a Bible. What's on the cover of your Bible? 
No, I'm not talking about your name. The thing on the cover of your, it says, Holy Bible. Well, what makes the Bible holy? Is it, is it the paper? You know, that nice thin paper, the really nice paper, that nice leather binding? No, no, no. I know it's the words in the Bible that make it holy. Isn't that right? Well, but there's different translations. So it's not the words themselves. What makes the Bible holy? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the inspired word of God. It's the mouthpiece of God. The Bible is holy because it can be translated into language, into language, and language upon language, and it still has the power. It still has the grace. It still has the strength. The Bible is alive, friends. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, says all scripture is inspired and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I love this word inspired. It's theonustos. Theo meaning God, nustos meaning breath. And so they're saying that the Bible is God-breathed. In other words, the writer is saying that the Bible is the words of God, words of Jesus to us for our lives. Now, I get it. The entire Bible was written by people, like people with a pen wrote it down. So it's 100% the work of people, but it's also 100% inspired by God. So the Bible, it's inspired by God in two senses. The first sense, it's a general sense. The words contained in this book, they come from God. The Bible is true. It is the foundation for the Christian faith, but it's also inspired in a personal sense. It's inspired for your life. Not only is the Bible true, but it's true for your circumstances. It's true for your life. Think of this. Not only is the Bible wisdom on display, but the Bible actually has the power to make you wise. And the Bible, it's bigger than like a moral or ethical code. God uses the Bible to help you be the kind of person that you were created to be. Not only will this book change the way you behave, but it will actually transform your mind. Christopher mentioned John 1, 1. I'd like to put that on the screen. And I want you to think of John 1, 1 in the context of the power of God's word. The writer, John, one of Jesus' disciples, he said this, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And then he says this, he says, he was with God in the beginning. And so here's what he's, he's pointing back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, you recognize that part, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, the word is Jesus. Jesus is the word. And so in other words, he's saying that we experience Jesus in a personal way through the Bible, through his word. Oh my goodness, that's so powerful. So practically, you and I, we encounter Jesus in a personal way through his word. And I've called the Bible a manual for life, and it is. I gave you some specific examples of how the Bible helps you in everyday life. It's the best instruction manual out there. There's nothing else better. But the Bible's more than that, isn't it? It is. It's more than that. I think about this, kind of step out of the circumstances a little bit. Think about Abraham Lincoln. Got Abe Lincoln on your mind now? Um, so you can read books about Abraham Lincoln. You can even read some of the things that Abraham Lincoln wrote. But if Abraham Lincoln starts dropping thoughts into your mind, you've got problems. We've got a nice long white jacket with long arms for you. But you see, it's because books about Abraham Lincoln aren't alive. 
Any biography, it's not alive. But the Bible, it's alive. It's alive, and because it's alive, Jesus speaks to you through his word. He drops thoughts into your mind from his word. That's a good thing. It's a helpful thing. The Bible's the most important way for you to encounter Jesus. I want you to see this, friends. The fourth thought we have today is that the Bible, it has the power of salvation. The message of truth is found in this book. Not only does this book reveal Jesus, but it reveals Jesus to you, the people that you know, and everyone in the world. Perhaps you've heard Romans 1.16 before. It says this. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Every single person who's given their life to Jesus does so on the unfailing promises of God's word. Did you know that Jesus, he's the single focal point of the entire Bible? And so the Old Testament points ahead to Jesus. In fact, uh, I did a little bit of research, Dr. J. Barton Payne, he counted 574 verses in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. The gospels, they tell us what Jesus said and did. And the letters of the epistles, they tell us how to apply and live out the teachings of Jesus. And then Revelation tells us this. It tells us that Jesus is coming back. Everything wrong is going to be made right. Every pain is going to be wiped away. And we're going to enjoy him and every other person who's given their life to him for all of eternity and the greatest celebration that we could ever imagine that gets better and better every day. That's the promise of God. And so God uses the Bible to help us commit ourselves to him. Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Acts 4.12 says, foundation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I want you to see Romans 10 verse 8 on the screen. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Friends, there's something significant about opening your mouth and declaring his truth. There's something significant about declaring your faith and declaring the power of Scripture. It's a personal inward thing, and then it's an outward thing. And I love that when, it, when uh, in Romans 10, it says, what, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and your heart. That's a direct reference. It's a quotation of Deuteronomy 30, 14. That the word of the Old Testament is the word of the New Testament. It's that Jesus is Lord, that he's our Savior, that we can trust him. I want you to see Romans 10, 13 on the screen. Let me put that up there for you. It says, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one in whom they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Friends, God's word has the power for your salvation, has the power for your loved one's salvation, for your family, and also for the entire world, everyone that you know. And just like your salvation begins with a prayer of commitment, someone else's salvation begins with you 
sharing God's word with them. I want to put a verse on the screen that helps us understand God's power and God's word, perhaps in a little different way. It's Isaiah 55, 11, and I chose the Amplified Bible. I kind of like how it explains things a little bit for us. And it says this, check it on the screen. It says, my word will not return to me void, which means useless or without result, without accomplishing what I desire. This is God speaking and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Perhaps you could play the devil's advocate with me a little bit. If God's word is so powerful, then why is my life such a mess? Why is our world such a mess? And I want to contend this. I want to offer this to you. Perhaps God's word isn't at work as much because it's, we haven't sent it out. We haven't spoken it out because for God's word to accomplish what he wants it to happen, for it, for it to come back doing the things that he wants it to do, it has to be sent out. We have to let it out. We have to release it. And how do we release God's word? We release it by speaking it. We release it by praying it. We release it by living it out. And so when we put God's word on display, it can't fail. It can't fail. I hope that helps you. That sure encourages me. Because here's what happens to us. You're just like me. I know it. Because all these things roll through your mind. Well, you know, I'm really, I'm really not that great God. And uh, my prayers don't matter. I'm so glad all these good things are happening at Union Chapel. And, you know, surely it's not because of me. Look, that's the biggest lie. It doesn't say God uses some of his word. Whenever his word is sent, he uses it. And... And I've got good news for you. The power of it isn't dependent upon you. It's dependent upon him because it's the promises in his word. So you can speak out with boldness and faith and courage. So speak it out. Live it out. Think about this, friends. You're just the, you're just the spoke piece, the mouthpiece for God. <laughs> you're just the transmission system for his power. And sometimes we think that, you know, we can short-circuit God's power. Could you imagine? Like, let's just lay that out there. Okay, uh, God's eternal word. Um, it's at work, but sorry, 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 God. Uh, Glenn Greiner just messed it up. He just short-circuited all that power for all of history. Look, it's not going to happen. And you can't mess it up either. So we've got to trust God. We've got to speak his word. And one of the most important ways I believe that we can speak God's word is through prayer. And I'm going to push you a little bit. I'm going to invite the uh, worship team to come up. I know Nate's going to come up here. And so I'm going to have you step out of your comfort zone a little bit, okay? So we're going to have two closing prayers. One's going to be you, and the other one's going to be me. So we're going to take some time just to pray through a verse of the Bible together. And so maybe you've got the Union Chapel app. You can open up the sermon notes and you can see this prayer. Maybe you can find one of these cards sitting around you. It's got the story praying God's word. On the very back of it, this is one of my favorite scriptures to pray. On the very back and the very top, it comes from Ephesians 3, verses 16 through 19. And what I've done, I've basically taken that verse and I've put in blanks where you can insert someone's name. And just to be honest, I've prayed this this week for the people who I've invited to be a part of the story. And I prayed it over myself. I prayed it over my wife. I prayed it over each one of my kids by name. It's a very, very helpful prayer. And so I want you to take a, just, a, just a second. I want you to think about the name of someone you're going to put in there. Whose name are you going to pray out loud here in a minute? Maybe it's a kid. Maybe it's a coworker. 
And of course, obviously, it'd be someone you're inviting to come with you next week. So you got the name? So now what I want you to do, is Nate's going to play in the background because it was really quiet and no one, <laughs> it was really difficult for people to respond. I'm pushing you to respond, okay? In fact, I, the prayer is going to cover the screen. So if you're joining us online, you don't get to see my beautiful face anymore. You're going to see this prayer from Ephesians 3. And so if you've got the app or you've got this card, I want, or look at the screen. So we're going to pray this out loud together. And just, I want you to speak these words. You don't have to speak them loud. You can whisper them, but I want you to speak these words. Are you ready? Here we go. I pray that of your glorious riches, speak it out. Mark will bring strengthened with power to the Holy Spirit. Hands in our being. Help you to live in Christ through faith. May you grasp how wide, long, high, deep your love is. Help you know this love, which is more than you can comprehend. Filled with the fullness that can only come from God. Do you feel the power in that? Here's my challenge to you. Don't just, don't just toss this down. You can stick it in your Bible, but what I'd really like you to do is to tape it to your mirror. Tape it to your dashboard so you can pray these prayers at stop signs and when people cut you off. (laughs) Friends, you have the opportunity to speak God's word, to let it loose in your life. Man, there's nothing more that I want for my family and my neighbors than for them to experience the power of God's word in their lives. In fact, if you, if you can make a commitment just before God, if you, if you can make a commitment to pray these prayers this week, just at least one time, could you raise your hand if you're willing to do that? Just make a commitment. Good for you. Good for you. Good for you. You just watch and see what God does as you pray. Now, friends, if you would, would you just bow your heads with me? As we close in prayer, I'm talking to someone. Maybe you're joining us online or you're in the room and, and you've been really, really distracted. Because I read that verse in Romans 10 about confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you've realized that I've never said it out loud. I've never prayed the prayer out loud. I've made the commitment in my heart, but the words have never come out of my lips. And I want to make sure I'm saved. And I want you to know that you can be sure of that. You can be sure of that today, right now. And you can profess your faith in Him. And here at Union Chapel, we love you and we're with you. In fact, we are all going to pray this prayer after me out loud together. So here we go, church. Dear Jesus, you are Lord. You died for me. You paid for my sin. You set me free. So forgive me. Make me whole. I declare with my mouth that you are Lord. Thank you for saving me. Fill me with your power so I can live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, Father, we come before you with full hearts, thanking you for your goodness, your love, your word. And we promise before you and before one another to let it out, to let your word out through our lives, to speak and pray your word, and to watch our world be transformed for you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Amen.